Good morning. Again, you uh, know who I am now, um, but I'm really glad to see you guys. Um, thank you, first of all, for a couple weeks off. Thank you for being a congregation that believes in that. Um, my wife and I were able to be away for two weeks, and, uh, and we're thankful for, for the freedom we have to do that. Also thankful to, uh, to Joel, who took Pastor Joel two weeks ago, and, and Chuck, uh, Pastor Chuck. Not really a pastor. He, anyway, Chuck uh, Holt, director of the Factory Ministries, who took last week. Grateful to them for doing that. Um, and now we're back in our, in our series this morning. Uh, this is the final installment of this thing up here that you see called 150. Reflection, basically, of man's, uh, man's greatest reflections on the fullness of God. This series, by way of introduction to those who are new to this, this series is basically sprung out of a core value that we have, and the core value is this, that the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day. And as such, uh, I say that quickly, but as such, we have covered now five of the Psalms, uh, just a sampling of Psalms, and today we're going to cover the last one. And by way of brief, 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 brief review, here's where we have been. As we began looking at this thing, we looked at Psalm 1, and we said this about Psalm 1, that the more I want to know what God wants me to know, the stronger I become. Like a tree planted by streams of water, so too shall your life be, as you want to know more of what God wants you to know. Your brokenness will become fuller as we reflect on the fullness of God. Then we zipped over to Psalm 51. We talked about David's sin with Bathsheba, and we said that confession is this gift of God that chases shame and replaces it with fullness of joy. That God is able to give us restoration back when we have failed and fallen, and David's a great example of that. Then we moved over to Psalm 90, and we said there in Psalm 90 that if you want to be more than a number, live like your days are numbered. We looked at Moses and the reality that he, um, he said at the end of that psalm, establish the work of my hands, Lord, establish the work of my hands. And then he said, teach us, teach me to number my days because I don't have an unlimited number of days to use. I don't think we need to drive that home any further this morning, right? Then we moved over to Psalm 130 and we said, and this is kind of my cheesy one, right? Watch through the night and God will bring the morning light. We talked about times that are very difficult and hard, whether it's because of sin or sickness or whatever, they're difficult. And you, you've been tasked with and we've been tasked with to watch through the night or the darkness of the difficult times that we have, do what you can do while God will bring ultimately at some point kind of the morning light and hope will come from him. We do what we do and he does what he does. Last time I was up here a couple weeks ago, we talked about 139, Psalm 139, one of my favorite all-time psalms, and in there we, we said this, if you want to know what God wants you to do, you have to know what he knows about you, which I'm sure you all remembered without even needing this slide, right? If you want to know what God wants you to do, you have to know what he knows about you. We talked about the reality of how much God knows us and how important it is to know that and realize that this is a key part of knowing what God wants us to do, okay? So this is where we've been from Psalm 1 to 51 to 90 to 130 to 139. Now today, we get to the end. To get our minds around this, I want to ask this question. How many of you have been involved this week in one way or the other in back-to-school shopping? Come on, don't be embarrassed, come on. Come on now. How many, yeah, yeah, okay, good, good. How many of you know somebody who has that addiction? No, I'm just, I'm not addicted. How many of you know people who have been involved back to school shopping season, right? Yeah, there you go, all right. All right. Here's the thing, I, we're, we kind of did, did that this past week, and it was interesting, as I listened to the stories, and you need to know that I don't, 
I don't shop, so this whole thing is foreign to me. Uh, people coming back and telling shopping stories. It's like telling hunting stories, I guess, or maybe from my world, you know, biking stories. I, like, I just don't even know what this is about. But I sit there and almost with awe, and really what gets recounted on the back end of shopping stories is, is hey, we went and we got, you know, this pair of jeans, and then when we bought this other pair of jeans and that pair of socks, they gave us a free pair of sunglasses, and they gave us the squirrel on the wall, and they gave it all to us for 40% off, which was already marked down, and then we got there, and I had an old, like, coupon, and then they gave me double on that coupon, it was awesome. I got it all for, like, three seventy-five. can you believe it? It was awesome. I'm like, wow, that sounds like a lot of fun to me. <laughs> yeah. Cannot wait to go back to school shop. And this is the story, right? This is why you shop the way you do, because there's always got to be a deal to find somewhere. And that's kind of the, the lifeblood of shopping, right? I mean, the adrenaline rush of, whoo, 350 I saved today because of my coupon. And, okay, now I kind of busted on that a little bit, but isn't there reality? Isn't there reality? Just a little bit, right? Isn't this the reality? that we always, we always, we always celebrate what we value, right? Isn't that true? We always celebrate what we value, right? Now, I can pick on shopping because it's not my thing, but you can pick on me for things that I value. And you might walk into a conversation with me, and I might be talking to one of you afterwards, and you're like, oh, they're talking about that biking stuff again, bunch of grown men in spandex. What is wrong with these guys? They just ride their bike forever. I mean, seriously? Okay, so we celebrate what we value and we talk about hills that were like 90 degrees and we could hardly even get up them and, you know, it was snowing, you know, in August and it was just terrible and no one could do anything. I mean, we do the same for everything that we value, right? We celebrate it. We want to talk to one another about it because this is a natural reality of life. We celebrate what we value, right? Yeah. Now, here's the thing. If the fullness of God beats the brokenness of man any day, we have to assume that there is brokenness to man sometimes, sometimes, that we can't even see. Sometimes, there are, there are times when we don't celebrate what we should value because we don't see it. Right? Sometimes we don't celebrate what we should value because we don't know that we should do that. This shows up most commonly in the feeling of regret. When I tell the story of someone like a Carla Tennant, who I'm going to miss sitting back there, I think, hmm, I did not call her back last time she called me. Some of you last week's like, I didn't hug her, and I typically do. Or others like, I didn't even know her, and I wish I would have. And we talk about valuing people, and I wish I would have, but I didn't. Aren't there times as we grow older where we say, man, if only I would have celebrated my grandparents more, but now they're gone and I can't. If only I would have valued that old job a little bit more because my new job, and I thought that guy was ridiculous, but my new job, which I thought would be so awesome, my new job is actually like kind of worse than that old thing. And I thought, and I wish I would have valued and celebrated what I had. And isn't it true that because of our brokenness, there are things that we move on from and realize I missed it. I didn't see it. There are things that I should value and should celebrate that I sometimes don't. 
And I think as we get older, this becomes more and more part of our world, realizing, oh, I should have valued that time with them more because I assume that I have an unlimited number of days. Oh, we'll get together with them anytime. We'll have more get-togethers like this. No, you may not. This may be it. This group may never be together. Again, I'm going to celebrate and value this moment that I have. And here's why I bring this all up this morning. Because this morning, the text that we're going to, if you have been at all in church circles, if especially, especially, especially if you have grown up in a conservative, kind of theologically conservative and kind of culturally conservative church setting, you're going to hear a message this morning that I bet you'll say, good message. Not that I delivered something good, but rather that the text was good. It was true. What God says is good and true. But here's what I want for us this morning. I want for this message this morning to be like a landmark stake that we're going to plant in the middle of our corporate body at Grace Point, that we will come back to, that we might actually listen to this again, because what is said this morning about our corporate faith and about our expression of our faith in God is so important for our development that we, I believe, have a a limitation and a weakness, as everybody does, and we certainly do here. And it is really put in stark contrast this morning as we reflect honestly with our text this morning, and we see from God's Word some things that we know are true in our head but here's what I want to filter down into your heart. And I, and I think this morning will be like kind of sandpaper rubbing against the grain of what you're used to and what you feel like is right and normal habits that have been developed within our body that are going to kind of try to be the edge sanded off of them this morning if we're able to be honest. And here's the deal with God's Word, right? If we believe it's true then there's consequences both to obeying and disobeying it, right? If we believe that this is God's word, then there's benefits to reap from actually doing what his word says. And there's also then limitations that come, consequences if you want to call them that, problems that come, a a lack of life and abundance that comes when we don't do what's in his word, right? So this morning, I hope that this message, boom, drops a landmark here on this issue together and causes us to say, if I really celebrate what I value, what of this together? So, if you have your Bible, will you turn to the very end of the book of Psalms, Psalm 150 in this 150 series, Psalm 150. If you don't have a Bible, there's one in the pew near you or you can pull it up on your phone or your iPad or whatever you have there, Psalm 150. I'll be reading from the NIV version, NIV 84, actually, um, is what my version is. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, that uh, Bible in the pew is our gift to you. We are glad to give that to you. You can take that from here and read it, engage um, it, and find the life of God within those pages, okay? Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with strings and flute. 
Praise him with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Psalm 150. Simple. Easy, right? I've thrown it up here this morning on the screen because there's some things I want to show you about this psalm this morning. Now, you have to be either uh, blind or deaf not to realize that there's a word that's repeated in this psalm. And the, right? (laughs) The shows up several times in this psalm. This is the psalm, okay? The other word that shows up a lot is... 13 times, 13 times, okay? 13 times this word praise shows up. So this psalm, all right, is about praise, right? And what is that? A simple concept, right? It's about praise. We talk about praise in church circles or whatever, and we kind of think we know what that means. Here's, here's the, the really simple deal. Praise is about boasting. It's about boasting. In this case, in God. About boasting in God. It actually comes from kind of an Arabic root word, and that um, can mean shout for joy or terror, either one really. But the underlying feel of that is, is a kind of a visceral reaction to, oh, this is awesome. I saved, you know, 10 bucks when I went shopping, or oh, this is terrible. Like, ugh. I didn't save money and I got charged more when I was shopping. But this kind of shout for joy or terror, boasting in the Lord is what praise is about. So praise the Lord, okay? Praise the Lord. Fair enough. Now, praise the Lord. And here's where he goes. Praise God in his sanctuary, in his mighty heavens. In verse 1, he kind of lays out with these. We're going to follow the prepositions. Sorry, this is kind of a pseudo-grammar lesson this morning. In is a preposition. Here you go. Um, praise him where? In his heavens, in his mighty heavens. Now, here's what we do. We praise people in our little world for the things that they do well. So... I praise, if you will, if you are a basketball fan, you might praise LeBron James or Kobe or Dwight Howard, maybe not Dwight Howard, but you might praise some people for what they do and where they are. If you're a Phillies fan, I don't know who you praise, the fanatic, it makes things interesting during that time, I don't know. I don't know who you praise, but there's, there's things, no matter, if you're a singer, you know, you've got your singers, if you're into, into music or drama, you've got your people that you read, you look at, you watch, if you're a reader, if you're into whatever, you, you're going to praise people in their little world and sphere of dominance and influence. They're the best at saying that. They're the best at acting that way. They're the best at raising kids this way or giving me advice. So I'm going to kind of praise them in their little world in which they are. So the question is, what is the little world in which God operates? And here the psalmist says, hey, in the expanse, in the heavens. So that little like athletic world and that little food world and that little drama world and my little world of family and parenting, all those little worlds is where we praise our heroes. And here the psalmist says, just the reminder that the world, not just the world, the mighty expanse of the heavens beyond our capacity to understand. The solar system is where we praise God, is where his dominance is. Praise him in that expanse. That is where he is dominant in that area. Not just in my little circles. And and praise him for what? In verse 2 it says, praise him for his acts of power and for his what? Surpassing greatness. For his surpassing greatness. Some of you, that, that word surpassing might be translated extravagant greatness or 
or multifaceted greatness. But anyway, the point is that whatever is great around here, whatever you can conceive of as great, we're going to praise him because he surpasses anything that we can, we can think of could possibly be great. We're going to praise him for his surpassing greatness. He's more lovely than the person that you are marrying, plan to marry, or hope to marry. He's more awesome than a bike ride up a 90-degree hill in the snow with a headwind. And he's more awesome than saving money when we're shopping. He's, he's more, whatever is great, his greatness surpasses that in the scope of this entire cosmos. Praise him that way. And then he says, to kind of bring it home this way, he moves then to, how do I do this? And then here's our prepositions, with, praise him with the sounding of the what? Which is usually quiet. Praise him with the harp and lyre. Praise him with tambourine. Praise him with the strings and flute. (laughs) Praise him with cymbals and the clashing cymbals. picture do you get in verses 3 to 5? It's an amazing picture, isn't it? You actually slow it down and think about that. Like, seriously, God? I mean, if, if the psalmist were, were here and were to deliver this and says, listen, bring it. Praise him with the trumpet. Praise him with a harp and lyre. Praise him with a tambourine and dancing. <laughs> right? Praise him with the strings and the flute. And the only thing that's repeated is verse 5. The cymbals are repeated twice. And cymbals, we know, are naturally very quiet instruments. Praise him with a clash of cymbals and then with resounding cymbals. That resounding, if you have the ESV, I think that's, that's translated like loud resounding cymbals or repeated cymbals. In other words, keep bashing away at the cymbals. I really want you to do that, okay? Hit them hard, long, and often. Praise him with the cymbals. And this is the deal. Okay, so here's the, here's the problem with that because if this were actually to happen I can't tell you that we would not have a sound guy next week because no one would want to feel the complaints anymore from the guys who say, please turn that down. That's too loud. No, not that loud here. No, not here because it's too much. And the psalmist says, praise him with all of this. You get the idea boasting in the great surpassing power of our God in the cosmos requires a kind of response to him that is equal to his greatness. Praise him with this enthusiasm. Praise him with this energy. Praise him with this desire to give to him whatever we can that is equal to his surpassing greatness. But here's our pushback on that. Isn't that isn't that like charismatic? Several years ago when I actually was a student at Dallas Seminary, uh, probably 12, 13 years ago now, uh, John Piper 
came to, to DTS, as we call it, and spoke in chapel. The next person to call John Piper a liberal will be the first one to call him a liberal. Piper spoke and packed out the chapel, and, and uh, most seminary students were cynical by that time, by, uh, by their years of study, and not everyone packs out the seminary chapel. Piper did, and Piper then went over to have a Q&A session in the building next door, in which I followed over there with the pack of students, and there were several hundred of us in this uh, Campbell Academic Complex, listening to John Piper for about an hour in a Q&A. Someone asked him, basically, to describe, um, how would he describe himself in terms of, if you will, his theology or his posture toward God? And he said something to this, to this end. This is about a direct quote, um, because it really impacted me. And he said, I'm orthodox in my theology, but charismatic in my affections. Can you have that? Can you, can you have that? Can you have that? Can you have a place? Can you have a people who are not afraid to be charismatic in affection while still holding to orthodoxy in theology, while still holding to what has guided our Christian faith for centuries, centuries, still being orthodox, not moving theologically, but growing in our affections to the greatness of our God. Is that possible? There's something I didn't tell you about the word praise in this psalm. The praise in English looks about the same, but it's a little different. The first and last praises coming back to our grammar lesson are actually different parts of speech. They're interjections. Isn't that exciting? What they are is exclamation words. The other words are not. The other praises are not that. At the beginning, at the end, the psalmist says, come on, praise, praise, praise. Just like you're yelling to your, your uh, little leaguer when they're coming to home plate and the tag is about to be applied, and you say, slide, slide, slide. It's that kind of, mm, do it, praise, do it now. But the middle praises throughout the whole psalm are actually verbs, which is not a surprise, but they're plural verbs. Here's what that means. What the psalmist is saying, even by the choice of language, is that this praise is done together. This is corporate plural praise that's to be done at the beginning and the end and in the middle to be done by us. Something that we can do together but we can't do by ourselves. This is not about as much as we want to emphasize praise privately and that's fine and good. This is a message to us as a people, to us as a group of people who say that I actually believe in God and his greatness and his surpassing power. This is the message to us that we together can do something in praise that we can't do alone. This corporate kind of praise. Praise the surpassing greatness of our God. And so what's at stake this morning? What's at stake as we think about this reality? See, what's at stake for you, for you and for me and for us is, okay, another message along the line of 52 messages a year that are given at Grace Point Church. It's wonderful, good Mental concept, that's awesome. 
Great to hear that. Can't wait to go have lunch. We got some things going on. I think the game's on this afternoon. And we got school this week. Gonna be fun. Can't wait to connect to school with friends again. I, I don't want to go to school. And then next week, man, same time, same station. We'll see you guys here. We'll kind of do the same thing again. Hopefully, have another good message. And I'll be kind of spurred on for about 33 minutes. And then we'll go on with the rest of life. What's at stake this morning? What's at stake on this issue? And here's what I think. Anytime we interact with God's word, we either have a chance to respond to in, in obedience, we either have to respond to in growth, or we kind of pull back. And here's what I think. That if we fail, if we fail to, to do well at corporate praise, that there's a lot at stake, I believe that for our children and for the next generation of people who are looking at us and saying, seriously, this is as good as it gets for your God? I mean, why, why would I want to give my life so whatever this thing is that you're saying is good, there is, there is a lot at stake here for us corporately. And I want to talk about the benefits really briefly of the so what here this morning. So what? Praise Together does several things for us, and I want to just hit them briefly. Praise Together reinforces our faith. When you and I come together in praise, my Praise reinforces your belief that God is true. Your praise reinforces my belief that God is indeed real. Several years ago, I was given tickets with my wife we were to go see the Eagles play the Packers. That's when they actually were doing well. Um, it was going to be a great game, supposed to be a good matchup, and the Eagles ended up dominating. It was crazy, uh, 54 to 6 or something like that, I don't know. But here's what happened. In the middle of that thing, I get into a bunch of, um, it was a 4 o'clock game, I think, on a Sunday, which I could go to as long as I didn't preach too long. And uh, we get there, and there's, I don't know how many people there, tens of thousands of people, and we're all worshiping the Eagles and some worshiping the Packers. And so the Eagles score touchdown after touchdown after touchdown, and we end up, I end up like high-fiving the guy, the beer-drinking guy next to me, like, yeah, I don't know who you are, but he doesn't know who I am, and he's doing the same thing to me. And, and our belief together that all of a sudden the Eagles can do this is reinforced when we together praise and sing the Eagles fight song, E-A-G-L-E-S, right? And we reinforce our faith together, that my belief in the Eagles is reinforced by his belief in the Eagles. Same thing for corporate praise here. Come on now, you know this. If you walk into a place and it's like, wow, is this a funeral service or like a worship service? What's going on? Do these people really believe? And when they do, and you are drawn into that moment, your faith is reinforced. And when it is not, and you are not drawn into that moment, your faith and the faith of your children is not reinforced without corporate praise, a part of who we are and what we do. It reinforces our faith. Second thing it does is it has a multiplying effect. It's not just if I have, if you will, like a, a, a scale of 1 to 10, let's say I have a 5, I'm not really that strong, but not really that bad on faith. I have a 5 faith, and I take it to your 5 faith, and I add it, and maybe we have a, a 10 out of 20 faith together, and that's awesome. It's more of a multiplying effect. And that is, when I am willing to engage in corporate praise with you because I believe in the greatness of my God. You are moved and you take your faith and move it out into Monday and Tuesday and you impact people who I never could see because you somehow have been touched by corporate praise together. And in that way, it multiplies in a way that I can't ever imagine. New York Times did a, uh, had an article this week in which a study was done. Uh, they hijacked a, a website. And if you guys ever shop online, You'll see they have uh, comments um, available for products later on. And you always wonder, are these real reviews, right? 
oh, this, you know, baby stroller was so awesome, it changed my life. My kid sleeps forever, and I'll never be the same again because I got a baby stroller from whoever. And you wonder, seriously? Like, is this, are this really legitimate? Well, some company decided to test it out, and they, um, they agreed with some online merchant to, to put one fake, one fake um, positive review on the end of, uh, of their, their sales, basically, the end of this chart. And they had a kind of a closed group who, who would um, look at and review products. And here's what they found, that by planting one positive comment in the review section, it had a multiplying effect that that product or that posting was 25 times more likely to receive more positive reviews than those who did not first get a positive review. Because we like what other people like. That's who we are. We like to do what other people like to do. Corporate praise has a multiplying effect that without it, we miss. We miss. Third thing. It provides direction to the directionless. While I'm talking about studies, there's another study done in 2008, this one by a professor, and I can't remember his name without looking at it here. Professor Jens Krauss. Isn't that a great name? Jens. Professor Jens from the University of Leeds, and here's what he did. He grabbed a bunch of people together, and he said, I want you guys to walk around a large hall. If you can imagine this place without these benches, and a bunch of people called to, to walk around, just say, walk randomly in here. And then, if I were to plant, here's what he did. He planted several people in this random group of people who were informed. They knew the direction or the pattern, the snake-like pattern that they were to make. The directions on this study were the people who were informed were not to speak to anybody else, but everybody is to remain within arm's distance of everyone else. And what they found is that the masses of people, if you will, the majority of people who didn't really have any direction were just told, wander randomly in the hall. That was their instruction. And there was a few who were informed participants who began walking in this, basically we'll call it a figure eight pattern. And every time this case study was run, the entire group started following the informed participants. Every time. Without ever saying anything, without ever inviting them to follow them. Every time. The people who didn't really have a plan, they followed people with a plan without even saying anything to them. It's part of human behavior. Corporate praise provides direction to the directionless. People who come in here, if you will, and are out in our world, and are like, I don't know what is right. I don't know what is true, but I don't know. These people seem to be crazy about God, and so I'm going to follow that direction. And without that, it doesn't happen. It provides direction to the directionless. It also puts our world in perspective against God's. Our little world, we come in and things are so bad and so hard, and I understand that, and that happens to all of us, and there are times we really need comfort, we need to lament, we need to cry, and those are very legitimate times. We're going to have some of them this week. But there's also times when we just kind of get stuck in our stuff, and we need the pull of God you don't need, you know this, you don't need me to tell you or anyone else to tell you another way to get out of the debt you're in, another way to make your marriage happy. You don't need that. You need to know there's hope beyond that, right? You need to know that there's a God beyond your problem. Even if everything doesn't get fixed, you need to know there's hope beyond that. This is what corporate praise does. And without that, it's missing. And finally, this thing here. It reminds us that we don't serve a tame God. Corporate praise like this reminds us of that. Praise him with the trumpets. Praise him with a tambourine dancing with the flute and the lyre and the harp. Praise him with the cymbals and the loud 
clashing symbols. We don't serve a tame God, and we don't bring tame when we praise in this way. And, and, and I know, and I know, and I know, not every moment, not every song is going to be I mean, just kind of all out, bring it kind of moment together in worship. That's not what we're going after. We're getting after underneath that to plant the flag and say, if this is true, we celebrate what we value. We celebrate what we value. Then I'm, then I'm telling you that we have to look and say, if people were to come in, if my kids, my grandkids are going to look at what I value by how I celebrate, what are they going to learn about the God that I say is great? And this is where I look and I say, here's the time for you to choose and for us to respond as a congregation. This is an area that the sandpaper rubs a little bit. This is an area where we say, but I'm not used to and the guy next to me and I don't know. This is not just about singing louder. This is not just success if we get the volume turned up. This is not an apologetic for raising the volume or, or raising hands or whatever. This is rather, who in the world is our God that we serve? Is he to be praised for his surpassing greatness or not? Is Psalm 150 true? Am I to bring my enthusiasm to worship because, not because I want a place where there's raising of hands or dancing the aisle, not because I want that, but I want people around me to know that I believe in the great surpassing power of my God. And in our brokenness, and in our brokenness, our tendency is going to want to pull back, be safer, be tame, be calm. Maybe to let someone else or some other church experience the benefits of being charismatic in affection while also being orthodox in our beliefs. We celebrate what we value. And I hope this today plants the flag for us to say, what in the world, come on now, what in the world do we really value at Grace Point Church? I want to grow with you in this area. Okay? I want to grow with you in this area. My background is like many of yours. This is new for me. I want to grow with you because I want the benefits for my children, for your children, where they're going to look at people and say there is something surpassingly awesome about the God that they serve. And I want that. All right? Let's pray together. Our good God and Heavenly Father, we have come to a passage that is going to require a response from us. It's going to require us to think about what are we going to do with your word and with your truth? What are we going to do when you put things in front of us that are not the way we're used to doing? What are we going to do 
how are we going to respond to show the greatness, the power of who you are? I pray that you will help us to grow well in this area. Not just today, but beyond, well beyond, that we can benefit from understanding your word and the power and the life that comes from it to celebrate what we truly, truly value. Give us courage. Give us grace. In Jesus' name we pray.